Addiction Support Podcast, episode number seven. Hi, Oak Creek Wellness family. Welcome to Addiction Support Podcast, where I talk with inspiring people who share their knowledge and experience of addiction and what's working for them. This is addiction support for family and friends from people who've been there. I'm your host, Melissa Sue Tucker. Encouraging, inspirational, and life-changing content that makes a difference. Created specifically for you by OakCreekWellness.com. Welcome back. I'm so glad that you're here. Um, I have a great guest for you this week. She is a phenomenal lady and celebrating her recovery and supporting other people in finding and um, embracing their recovery. And I'm not even able to tell you her name, even though she is a dear friend of mine, because she requested that she remain anonymous. And I just think it's so brave and so phenomenal that she would be willing to share this side of her story because this woman is so much love and she is very successful in her own right. So it's really cool that she'd come on and share her story of how addiction affected her throughout her childhood and then how she found out that she had addiction or addictive you know, personality tendencies and then what she's done to come through that on the other side. She's a phenomenal lady. And like I told you guys last week, I'm doing everything I can to keep these podcasts around 30 minutes, give or take. So this one, we were on Skype recording for over an hour and a half. So this might just be part one of however many. I'm not quite sure what that's going to look like yet. But I hope that you do enjoy um, the, the message that she has. She's an inspiration and... Would love to hear any thoughts and any feedback. So you can go to addictionsupportpodcast.com forward slash episode seven. And there's show notes there. And at the bottom of the show notes, you could leave a review or not a review, but leave me any comments or any questions that you might have. I'd really appreciate it. Let me know that I am talking to people who are listening in there and that I'm not just talking to my computer. <laughs> Thank you very much. I love you guys and I really appreciate you. I hope that you enjoy this episode. I want to welcome to the podcast today um, a dear friend of mine who I've gotten to know even better over the past couple of weeks because we are month or so because of some stuff that we're working on. And um, I really appreciate you being here and sharing your inspiration and your story with us today. Thank you so much, Melissa. It's good to be here. <laughs> awesome. Thanks for asking. <laughs> You're welcome. So um, the podcast is addiction support for family and friends from people who've been there. So I was wondering if you would share a little bit of your story, how addictions touched your life. Okay. Uh, well, it started very young because my father is an alcoholic. And so I was born into it, I suppose, into a family that was, um, already dealing with alcoholism, however, not probably really aware of it. Um, I know my mom didn't know when she married him, and I know that through their marriage, it was a problem, his drinking, and that's why she left the marriage. And so my mom left when I was eight, 
and my older sister was 12 and my baby sister was one and we moved away um, we were living in Europe at the time my father was military and my mom uh, moved to the States and she decided to go it alone she decided to move to a place where she didn't know anyone and um, that's what she needed to do at the time um, I, I think a lot of us feel like we've got to do stuff on our own and we're on this on our own and not to ask for help and <laughs> um, I've learned that's really dysfunctional <laughs> however that's the, that's how I was raised I've, I've learned since then how to ask for help and so uh, my mom um, moved away to uh, Colorado and started raising three kids uh, all by herself and so I remember being very um, lonely and scared um, a lot of times when I was young. Um, uh, money was always tight and um, I didn't get to see my father much. He kind of would come and go. He would pop in and take us to Disneyland and then he would disappear for three years. And then... Um, do it over and over again. So that was kind of my experience after the divorce is he was just kind of come and go and I wouldn't know in between where he was. And I think my first addiction uh, was sugar and it's still, I still struggle with that today. Um, and so I, you know, I definitely got a rush and a high from sugar and would kind of check out and, um, you know, come home from school and stop at the store and get sugar and watch TV. And I hadn't talked about this for a long time. Uh, so those days were really lonely and I was on my own and I had a younger sister who was in daycare. However, when she was at home, I took care of her. Um, and an older sister so this was back in the 70s and there were not um, after school programs and there was not a lot of child care and so you know that term latchkey kid yeah, that, yeah. that's what a lot of us were in the 70s and my mom worked she had to support a family and so um, she did a good job doing that and I just remember feeling so odd and different and um, I just never felt like I fit in anywhere. Um, I really didn't have many friends. I uh, just felt like an oddball. And I, I started drinking. I, I kind of fell into a crowd that um, of, of maybe wanderers like me, you know, we kids that didn't really have anything going on um, after school and were left to our own devices and left alone a lot. And so being bored and lonely and, and restless, <laughs> um, that's just one thing that, that we did. We, um, you know, would get together after school and um, I don't think I, I, wow, this is, I'm, I'm experiencing a little bit of pain. 
Mm-hmm. <sighs> um, it was so, so long ago. Uh, I know that it's, and it's just a memory now. So there's, there's nothing in my life that's part of that anymore. But I guess I, I feel sad for that, that little girl who um, was just so lonely. And so I found some friends and, and I started um, doing what they did. And what they did was get high after school and drink on weekends. And, and that's kind of how it started. And I, I was 13 um, when I had my first drink. And it was, uh, it was crazy. It was, it was, I, I had no plans of drinking. Um, we were walking home from school. I remember I had my ice skates in my backpack and I was 13 and, uh, my girlfriends, two girlfriends and I were going to go ice skating and we we're just walking over to her house. They were going to have dinner at her place. And, and isn't this funny how I remember it with such great detail. Um, some, there were some guys on a porch and they invited us to come party with them and uh, my girlfriends of course were like no no we're not going to do that keep walking keep walking and I being you know kind of I don't know dumb and courageous <laughs> <laughs> um, I just said well what do you got and they said they, they held up a pint of brandy and, and, and I said well we'll buy it from you so we came up with some money I don't know eight bucks and we bought this pint of brandy and we went on our way and then um, I just started drinking it and um, I remember it tasted awful. I couldn't stand the taste. I was gagging, and I couldn't get enough. It, mm-hmm. it just, it just kept. I just kept drinking it, and my girlfriends started getting worried because I was drinking like half of it. And they, they would take a sip and not really want anymore. And I, I just, I almost drank the whole pint. And um, I think eventually someone took it away from me. And anyway, that whole night was a complete blackout. I, I. I I, I woke up um, in my bed covered with vomit and um, had no idea what happened the night before. And my mom um, and I stayed home from school that day. And eventually, the next over the next couple of weeks, I started hearing stories about what happened from my friends. And, you know, I, I believe that for me, I can only speak for myself, although I know many people believe this and... I believe that um, alcoholism, I have an addiction to alcohol, and, and it's an obsession of my mind. When I get a drink, that's all I can think about is drinking again, and it just takes over my body. I just have this reaction, and I, I, if I stay away from it, I'm fine, no problem. Um, however, when I get it in my body, I, I just want more. And so that's that's what happened that night. And it's, it's really strange because I couldn't stand the taste of it. It was awful going down, and I just kept drinking it. And um, and then from that point on, that that's all I wanted to do. I For my, any free time I had and any activities that I had involved myself in, very quickly went out the window because I, I, I wasn't interested in anything else except getting high and drunk. And, uh, and the demoralization and the complete shame and, and, um, and, oh, of, of what would happen as the result of that, um, you know, doing things that I would never do if I wasn't under the influence and, and feeling so ashamed and, and, and mortified 
by what I did, either, either remembering or having blacked out and having a friend tell me, oh, God, it was so painful, and it wouldn't stop. I would keep doing, I would just keep putting that in my body. Um, anyway, I, I do not remember a lot of, there was no intervention. I, I don't, I think my mom was just doing the best she could, just taking care of, uh, you know, keeping a roof over our heads and food in our bellies, so to speak. I mean, I'm, she, I'm surprised, honestly, that, that she didn't lose me because I was so out of control as a teenager, so risky. I would take all kinds of risky, you know, chances. Um, with my life, and I just, that's all I lived for was to party, party, party. I'm, um, what finally what happened, okay, what happened was she got really worried that I would um, end up killing myself. So she, I, I don't, there were no treatment programs at their time. There was not a lot of information about how to help people. Um, and she just, her solution was to just pack up and move away. <laughs> So she, she packed up her whole family, she quit her job, she sold the house, and she moved back to her hometown where she had some support, her mother, some siblings, some family. And, you know, I remember, I remember meeting my grandmother and meeting these family members, these people I didn't know. All of a sudden, I had a family. Because up until that point, all I knew was mom and a dad who came around now and then. That was it. And mom was gone all the time. So I I just didn't feel like there was anyone there for me. And so then I meet all this family and they sort of like instantly loved me because I guess we were blood related. So it was just this great <laughs> feeling to feel like these people cared about me. They didn't know about me and they cared about me. And I just, I remember feeling and thinking, you know, someday, you know, if I ever have a family and children, I want to make sure that my kids have this, that they're raised around family. And they have been. Um, anyway, I... I knew that something was wrong. I knew that things were out of control. I knew that I needed to make some changes. Um, and I, I, I had dropped out of school um, before we had moved. And I, I was doing my best to, uh, you know, go the route of a GED, going to an alternative school. However, when my mom moved, moved us away, I, I enrolled into a, um, a regular high school. And I just changed everything about my outer appearance and so um but nothing changed on the inside and the behavior didn't change so I was trying to make everything look different on the outside because before we moved I was just I was all out there you know um dressing wildly you know attracting attention I mean everybody knew I was I was the wild child and I that's what I wanted everyone to know <laughs> I didn't care and then when I had this second chance and I, I really wanted to um, make a change because I, I knew I was in trouble, um, I'll, all I did was change everything on the outside. So I changed the way I looked. I changed the way I dressed. I, you know, I got back into school. I was a year behind, but nobody knew that. And I kind of got a fresh start. And um, I um, ended up you know, doing well in school. I was an honor student. So here's this complete 360. And I, I'm thinking, okay, it's good now. Cause everyone, you know, is looking at me this way now and they see that I, I've changed. However, I became a closet user. I was, I was here. I was, you know, 16, 17 years old. And I was, I, I had a fake ID. I was going to bars on the weekends. Um, I was, 
you know, um, finding ways to, you know, buy pot and, but faking it the whole way through. So at school I had this, you know, goody, goody, two shoes persona. And then behind the scenes, I was living this double life. And um, a couple times I saw teachers at bars and, um, anyway, cut to, I feel like I'm spending too much time on this part of the story. Um, I, I ended up, um, graduating from high school and I, I earned a scholarship, uh, to go on to college. And so I moved away from home when I was 18. That's impressive. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. I wanted so badly to, to succeed, to, to do well. And, um, and I was hiding, I, I was hiding from everyone, every, and just trying to keep it all together. Uh, and I, I thought if I changed everything on the outside, that would be enough. And it wasn't obviously. And so, um, that's a lot of pressure. Yeah. Yeah. So here I am, um, by this time, you know, 18, 19, um, you know, college student and still partying, um, on weekends, just weekends. I was able to keep it together. I wasn't, you know, getting high and drunk every day. Um, and, uh, by the time I was 19, I, I decided I needed to stop smoking pot because I was noticing how it was affecting my, um, my motivation and I was really spacey and I kept losing things <laughs> and I knew it was a problem. And I can't tell you how many times I, I flushed it down the toilet only to turn around and buy some more or steal someone else's. And, um, I, I knew it was a problem. That was the problem. And if I just stopped doing that, I'd be okay. So I did, I stopped smoking pot and I didn't have issues with other drugs. It was pot and alcohol. Um, actually that's not true. In my early teens, I did experiment and it scared the shit out of me because it was some really, you know, heavy duty stuff out there. And so, uh, it didn't last, thank God. Um, so it was just pot and alcohol. And so when I stopped smoking the pot at age 19, I uh, started drinking more. <clears throat> and that kind of took over. But I thought it was okay because it was legal. And I was doing something legal for once. I felt good because I always felt bad about doing things that were illegal. <laughs> I always felt bad about what resulted, um, you know, as because of the using I did. I felt uh, bad right. about the people I hurt. I felt bad about, I just felt bad all the time. And of course you want to feel better. So you get high. So you feel better. It's just a vicious cycle. So, um, here I am by this time I'm about 22 and I'm not doing anything but drinking on the weekends and, um, and I'm causing some trouble and I'm, 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 you know, I'm, I'm bothering some people by my drinking. Um, I end up in a, a therapist's office and she says to me, I think you are an alcoholic and you should get some help. And, and she gave me some resources. And um, there are many different resources in which to get help. There's um, recovery programs. There's 12-step programs. There's, you know, there are other vehicles. There's not just one vehicle. I want to make, uh, make that distinction. Um, because I think sometimes people think that their way is the the best way and the only way and the right way, kind of like religion. And it's, <laughs> it's just not like that. So I think when you find a way that works for you, that's great. So I, um, 
I thought, okay, I, I, I just, I didn't have a problem believing that, you know, um, that alcohol was the problem. I got that. Some people don't realize that. Sometimes they think it's everything else. It's, it's, it's the wife or the husband or the boss or the kids or the this or the that. And they, you know, it's, um, I knew, I knew, I knew it was the alcohol that was causing the problem. So I didn't have a hard time understanding that. And I, um, got sober. I was 22 and I didn't do the necessary work, I believe, to uh, clear out all the baggage. And there was no help from my family. So my family was not involved in this recovery process at all. And like I said, I stress that. I think that is so important to involve the family in, in the recovery process for everybody. Because I think everyone is suffering mm -hmm. and, and everyone is dysfunctional. And so I think everyone has their part that you know, um, that they're suffering with. And I think, you know, it's, it's not just the alcoholic or addict or something that's got the problems. I think everybody does. <laughs> well, and I think everybody's contributing. We might not want to admit that, but I think we all have our own role that we're playing in it. And yeah. until we look at that and are willing to do the work on it, we're stuck in the cycle, mm. you know? Yeah, I like it when you talk. Say some more about <laughs> this like, podcast is about you, though. <laughs> I know. I just I get on a roll sometimes and go and go and go. No, I love it. It's absolutely perfect. And I want to honor you for sharing. Earlier, you were saying that it was so painful to share that, and you hadn't thought about that in a while. So I just want to, you know, thank you for being willing to go there. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Oh, just. You know, I, I, I'm, I have a picture right now. I'm visualizing myself at that age. And I just, I just have my arms around her, mm -hmm. um, hugging her and saying, you know, you're awesome. You're, you're just, I just, <sighs> yeah, um, we need help. There's so many people out there that are suffering that, that need help. And, um, I, I don't know if things had been different, would have been different if I'd gotten the help I needed. And, you know, even when I had that fresh start, if I had had some help, if I had had some direction, some recovery or, or, I mean, it was just like, nobody knew. Yeah. But yeah. nobody knew. I mean, what are you going to do when nobody knows? How can you help when you don't know? <laughs> My mom was clueless, totally clueless. So, um, anyway, so my recovery journey began. And um, for me, I just took away the alcohol and the drugs and everything, and I thought that was going to be enough. And and it was great in that um, my behavior wasn't so erratical and unpredictable, and I I didn't feel horrible about some poor choices, um, you know, the next day or the following weeks out of a fallout event. Um, so that was good. It's just that since I didn't have any real... Um, uh, I had the opportunity to to have some more real recovery, but it took some work on my part that I wasn't willing to do at the time. In my in my early twenties, at age twenty two, when I stopped the alcohol, I wasn't willing to go to do the deep digging and discarding of um, working through all my issues and my programs. I I didn't want to face anything, so I didn't do the work, and um, I don't recommend that. <laughs> um, I think the best thing to do is not just to stop the drugs or alcohol, um, also do the hard work of, of um, 
you know, discarding all the baggage. So I had to carry that baggage around for the next 18 years and, and um, relive all that pain and of poor choices and beat myself up I, um, over and over and over again. And so I was living with resentments. I was living with a lot of self-pity. I was living with a lot of anger and um, just eating away at me. So yes, I, I took away the drugs and alcohol and I, I was able to um, stay clean and sober for 18 years and I carried all my baggage around with me too. So, um, it, it was, um, you know, like I said, better in the way that I had physical recovery, however, not so good because I didn't have the emotional and the, um, spiritual, um, and the mental recovery. So, uh, I eventually relapsed, um, after 18 years. Um, and I believe, uh, it's because I didn't do the work that I needed to do you know, discarding all the baggage. And, um, you know, that relapse lasted three and a half years and it was a lot worse. My drinking was a lot worse than it was in my twenties. It wasn't the weekends anymore. It was, it became every day, almost every day. I think I left one day. I would try really hard not to drink on one of those days. So I could, you know, so I wouldn't have to say I was drinking seven days a week. <laughs> I think I managed one day. Did you have a question? No, I just said, wow. That's, oh. I mean, I can relate that to when I'm trying to diet, you know, this day I'm going to eat healthy and no junk, but that's just, that's, thank you for sharing that. That's got to be a struggle. This is what they say about addiction. When you stop putting that in your body um, and, and you, you stop, you start the process of recovery. You know, it, you were never you were never cured. You know, we've got to not put that in our body. Um, you can go a long time without putting it in your body, and then you might fool yourself and think, "I'm okay now. I can do this." However, if you put it in your body, you're right back to square one and times ten. Um, so, in that interim of not using. It's just like the d disease has progressed without you putting anything in your body anyway. So that when you do pick up again after 15, 20, 30 years, it's full force. It's stronger than ever. And and that's what kills some people. I, I've seen people that have 25 years and they, they think they're okay and they go out and they're dead in three years. So this is what I experienced. Um, my drinking came back with a great force and... Um, I, uh, was just dying inside and, um, what was the catalyst that changed all that, um, and got me to get help the second time around? Um, I, I just, I, 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 I'm not sure I, I, I do have one memory. I know, you know, everyone's bottom is different and um, everybody has to go through what they have to go through to get to the next place and phase in their journey. Um, I'm, I'm grateful that I didn't have to run my car into a telephone pole or um, take someone out on the way or uh, some of these other things that some people have to live with. Um, so... 
this may seem insignificant. However, it, it, it takes what it takes and it means what it means to every individual. And for me, um, I think it was a buildup to hitting my bottom, um, a buildup of lots of fear, a lot of ma manufacturing film, making things up, getting starting to get paranoid, um, a lot of grief and, and um, guilt uh, over no noticing that I was not emotionally available anymore for the most part to the family members that I loved. Um, so, so that big bad accident or thing or running into a glass wall that happens to some people didn't happen to me. Um, in my own way, this is, this is what it looked like. So for me, it was um, noticing my son on his second bowl of ice cream and calling him out on it and complaining and saying that's not healthy. I've been, you've been eating ice cream every night. That's not good for your body. And all the while with a glass of wine in my hand and he just turned to me and he said, you know what, mom, you know, I may be drinking ice cream. I may be eating ice cream every night and it's not, might not be healthy for me, but you drink wine every night and it's not healthy for you. So that was, that was kind of the bottom <laughs> And, and, um, it just hit me, it hit me hard because, and I didn't say anything in response to him. I knew he was right. Um, and, uh, I felt horrible and I knew I needed to do something different. Um, that seems kind of simple. However, um, that, that, that's what it was, what was for me. And, um, thank God. I'm grateful. I'm grateful that, like I said, I didn't have to run into a telephone pole to wake up, that my son was able to call me out and that I could wake up and see that. So, um, that was about five and a half years ago when I decided to, um, go back into recovery and stop drinking. And this time I did everything different. This time I decided to do the hard, hard, painful work of really looking at myself and my past and clearing away the wreckage that I had caused and um, I mean not just presently but through my whole life and um, dealing with the baggage and discarding the baggage and um, doing the work the hard hard work um, of recovery because it's not about just not putting alcohol and drugs into your body it's a lot more than that because there's a reason why we do that. <laughs> and it's about learning new tools of how to live this life. And I wasn't taught much about how to live life. I, I, I was raised in an alcoholic home. And there was never any kind of recovery. Um, there was not discussion about it. There was no kind of support. And so I just did the best I could. So... Now, in this last five and a half years of recovery, I've done, I've done a lot of the hard work um, and um, done a lot of forgiving, especially of myself, um, and um, learned a lot of tools of, you know, um, just, um, you know, so that I don't need to like, go to that. You know, that used to be my first go-to for everything, um, in good times and bad, that a drink was going to make everything better. <laughs> and in, in, 
and I think that I, I can speak for, you know, other addicts and alcoholics that that that's the that's the belief is that things are going to get better if I get high, um, or I can just numb out and it'll go away and I don't have to worry about it. Um, and we just come up, you know, you come down from that, and then everything is there and then some because maybe you've blacked out and you've done something, you made a poor choice, you know, in the meantime, and then you've got to deal with that. So what can I say about tools that have helped me? I have a very rich spiritual life that has helped me a great deal. And that's something that I never had before. Uh, I always wanted to have all the answers and run the show, not just m my own life, but everybody else's too. And uh, that didn't work for me. Um, that left me feeling very um, out of control um, and um, scared and, uh, you know, frustrated. Very, very frustrated. So I, um, you know, I found a way that works for me, a connection to um, something far greater than me, um, whatever you want to call that. Um, I call it by many names because many people all over the world call that by many names. And one of my favorite names, and I use them all, uh, I believe they're all valid, is that, um, you know, that source within, you know, that, that love. So I have a very um, committed practice daily um, of prayer and meditation. Um, and I can uh, complement that by journaling and um, some reading, some great readings from many different spiritual teachers. So that's been the greatest um, help to me. I honestly, now in my life, with the wonderful results I've created, um, because I've done the work of discarding all the garbage and the baggage um, and forgiven myself and others, um, and because I continue to seek a connection to my higher self, my source, that love that is in me and I see in everyone else and every, everywhere around me, I have a great life today. I have a, a manageable life today. And I am so grateful. And um, it feels like maybe I ought to let you ask me a question. <laughs> The question that's coming to mind is, um, like, what advice do you have for maybe that single mother that's out there and she just realized that her 13-year-old's drinking or, you know, father, it doesn't have to be mother. What do you wish maybe would have happened or what would you have done if you were in those shoes? Well, the first thought that comes to my mind is talk to somebody that you trust and be honest about what's going on. I think sometimes we, we feel responsible for other people or things that they've done, especially as a parent, like what, what did I do wrong or whatever? And I think there's this, there's some embarrassment and this shame around it. And that it's, it's hard to talk about. I, I think talking about it is so important. You're not alone. There's a lot of people that have have that experience too. I think a lot of people go around pretending like everything's okay all the time. We wear these masks. Um, and a lot of it is 
these masks of uh, life is always good and rosy and um, all is well. So I would seek, um, definitely seek help. And I, I think that 12-step programs are wonderful. Um, there are many of them out there, and that's been a real service to me. And um, that's where I would go. I would also ask uh, uh, around for, um, you know, I haven't had this personally. Personally, I, I have not ever been through a treatment program. I, um, so I don't know that much about that. And, um, and I haven't had this experience as a mother having a child, you know, you know, that's out of control. Um, so I, I can't really give more specific resources than what I've just given. Um, I definitely would say, talk about it, talk about it to someone that you trust that, you know, will understand that will be supportive and loving and not judgmental. And that can really maybe give you some answers and point you in the direction of some really good resources and um, get recommendations. Um, that's what I would tell them. <laughs> I think that's great. Okay. That's wonderful. So we haven't shared your name. I don't know if you're aware of that or not. So we've kept the Anna. Oh, oh, wow. I haven't said your name at all. It hasn't even mattered, has it? Mm -mm, not at all. I will tell you, though, that you're welcome to come back at any time if you want to go down that path. All right, there you have it. Um, I hope that you guys enjoyed that. Once again, the, we're not alone. You're not alone. There are other people that are going through what it is that you're going through. And um, you're not alone. There are people out there that are committed to caring and helping through whatever it is that you're dealing with. And that's what I want you to know. Um, excuse me. Sorry, my throat's a little sore. I'm having some illness issues this week. So it's actually going around my family. So please say a prayer or send me white light. Hopefully we get over this soon. And I do the same for you because I know that it is cold and flu season. Anyway, thank you very much for joining me this week. Once again, you can find the show notes at addictionsupportpodcast.com forward slash episode seven. And I have some fun stuff coming up for you guys in the new year, and I'm just looking forward to um, being of service to you. If you have any comments or questions or advice on how I can better serve you, please feel free to email me, melissa at oakcreekwellness.com, or you can find the contact page on addictionsupportpodcast.com. And also, please uh, if you enjoyed this podcast and you want to make sure to hear the rest of them that we have coming out, go ahead and subscribe on iTunes. And if you would leave me a review, that would be phenomenal. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Addiction Support Podcast. Addiction support for family and friends from people who've been there. www.addictionsupportpodcast.com. 